Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So before I start this next article, I'm going to ask a question, and obviously this isn't a question and answer session because I can't hear your answers, but you can always write back to me in the comments or as an email. So my question to you is, what are your thoughts about how fast somebody should progress through the degrees? Do you think a month between degrees is enough? Is it not enough? Uh, Is it once a year? You know, what does your jurisdiction say? I know I was lived in Texas for a brief period, and I remember there was something there along the lines of if you didn't get your Master Mason degree within, whatever, two years, three years, something like that, you basically had to start over. Uh, in California, where I'm formerly from, we've had people who have been entered apprentices for, gosh, who knows, 10, 15 years, 20 years, never got beyond that, and that's fine. We have people who are fellow crafts for many years, So anyways, I'm just kind of curious. And then we also have the one-day classes where people move through, you know, all three degrees within a day. Uh, I've done a podcast in the pack talking about some of the pros and cons of that. Um, But anyways, just kind of curious. So I would still love to get some feedback from people. So I'm not just doing this to hear hear my own voice, but uh, I'm hoping you guys are enjoying the podcast. And again, if you get a chance, you know, drop me a line via email. Uh, I think it's on the podcast framework there, or I think you can do it through comments as well. So with that, this is going to be a short episode, and this is an article called Are We There Yet? from the June 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, written by Neil T. Beatty, 32nd degree. Sometimes slower is better. Sometimes the journey, as through the degrees, is more important than the destination. The modern world is a very hurried place. Email, cellular telephones, fast food, and pay-at-the-pump gas stations have all become the norm. Almost every new convenience is about saving a little bit more time. Living life in the fast lane isn't just common, it's required. For those of us who grew up with airplanes, fax machines, and computers in our lives, this all seems like the natural progression of the world. Faster is better. The fastest rat wins the race. With all of the time we're saving, it seems like there would be more hours left over at the end of the day, but it never seems to work out that way. There just isn't enough time for Freemasonry. I hear great trepidation in the Masonic community about how hard it seems to be to get young people to become involved with Masonry. The old saw goes something like this. Young men just don't have the time to go through the degrees, much less the posting and examination sessions. They don't have time to get involved with reunions and attend the requisite practices. If we could just make the process go a little faster, make the postings a little easier, and make the schedules a little more flexible, maybe we would get some more members. Surely they could spare the time then. If we communicated more of the degrees, had fewer practices, and made the lectures shorter, maybe we could get more people involved. The old guys just don't understand because they're retired and don't have as many other obligations in their lives. 
We need to bring Freemasonry into the 21st century. Fui, we need to bring the 21st century into Masonry. The degrees, like life, are a journey. Each degree stands on its own and carries its own particular lesson. But the progression through the degrees comes with lessons as well. It was always expected that they be completed in a series. The degrees are not intended to be a show strictly for the benefit of the spectators. They do not form a 32-act play. They are performed for the benefit of all the participants. Everyone from the candidates to the directors is a beneficiary as long as he participates. There are important lessons to be gained by attending a reunion and watching the degrees, but they don't really sink in until you start participating. This takes time, and the brethren who come to the reunion, grab the credential, and move on are missing the whole point. The express version is just not the same. The goal may very well be to be able to get to wear a 32nd degree ring or to get the membership numbers up just a little bit more, but the substance for everyone is gained during the journey. We're making good men better, one step at a time, and no, we're not there yet. For speed junkies like myself, this is difficult to swallow. It goes directly against the pace of the rest of life, and yes, it does interfere with one's normal routine. Most modern lessons are fast. A new computer language is only useful for a few years or even months before it becomes obsolete. It's important to learn it quickly. Credentials are cumulative and they turn into money. College degrees, licenses, and certificates are things to collect, and the faster you get on with the next one, the better. People with two or more academic degrees make more money than the people who only have one, no matter that they didn't actually learn anything in the process. Masonry is different. Masonry moves slowly. The credentials, although numerous, have no commercial value at all. Those old guys, the ones who worked nights to put us through college, understand something that some of us seem to be missing. Sometimes slower is better. Sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. To the 90% of you who went through the degrees at a reunion and never came back again, I have a simple message. You're not done yet. The certificate, cap, and ring are not the end. Not by a long shot. Even if it's been years, it's not too late. The Supreme Council just issued the revised standard pike degrees, and now is your chance to get involved. Every degree has been rewritten. No longer is it a bunch of men who have been doing the same parts for decades. There's room for you. Every part in every degree was examined and then re-examined. Every participant is starting from scratch. We're all upon the level, and we need you to join us. If you've been wondering what is going on in your consistory, now is the best time in years to find out. Come back. It's worth the time. So now, obviously, that article is written on the basis of the Scottish Rite degrees. I am not Scottish Rite yet, maybe eventually, or York Rite, or Shrine, or anything. I'm just a regular old Blue Lodge kind of guy. But for me, that question is still valid as to what's the proper speed or the best speed to go through the degrees. So I joined, I believe, in June. About three months later, got my second degree. So I was initiated in either June or July. About three months later, I got my second degree and then was raised a Master Mason in December, the day after my birthday. So six months for me and I had a coach who Danny Cassiopo uh, I mean we would do uh, me and actually my buddy at the time we both joined at the same time we would go over to his house you know once a week and we would do a practice on our proficiencies um, nowadays it seems like 
I mean, gosh, we've got guys that are taking, you know, six months to a year sometimes to get from one degree to another. And then we have other guys, you know, other lodges I've been to where I, I've heard of guys getting, you know, at one degree a month and within three months they've got all three degrees. So, you know, I don't think there's any right or wrong way. It's just a matter of opinion and maybe even what your jurisdiction requires. So I'd love to hear some comments. I'd love to hear some feedback as to uh, what goes on in your jurisdiction. So as I said, it's going to be a short episode. I'm going to throw in one more article. But with that, have a wonderful day, evening, night, whatever it is for you. So the following article that I'm going to read is from Texas and talks about Masonic etiquette and protocol in Texas. Um, but things are different in different jurisdictions. So it'll be kind of interesting to compare the Texas version as written versus the California, which I'm most familiar with, versus the Nevada, where I've recently moved to. Masonic etiquette, for the most part, is merely good manners and respect for your lodge, its members, its worshipful master, and the convention of Freemasonry in general. One of the peculiarities of the Masonic fraternity is that a man attends a lodge meeting or a Masonic gathering not as a private individual, but as a Mason. He is therefore to be addressed by his surname, that is, Brother Smith, rather than Brother Bill. So, that's kind of interesting. Now, that's what they say in Texas. Now, California, uh, I would say it's kind of a mixture. Brother Hugo, Brother Ramos, Brother Opstieg thinking about some of the guys in Lodge. I think in Nevada, as I recall, a lot of the guys just call each other by their first name. There is no brother this or brother that. It's just by the first name, and nobody feels any different about it. Uh, at my Lodge, the other thing would be is we have a lot of past masters, and for us, when we when we talk to people, it's typically worshi or worshipful, um, and not even a name. Just, hey, Worshipful, how you doing, Worshipful? Good evening, Worshipful. Nice to see you, Worshipful. It's kind of like a Monty Python skit. Let's see, number two. The Grand Master is never to be addressed at any Masonic gathering by his first name, no matter how close an individual may feel toward him. His proper address is Most Worshipful, and when being formally received in a lodge, he is accorded his full title. Most Worshipful, his full name, Grand Master of Masons in whatever state. And I'd say that's pretty much the same in California and Nevada, although I have not been around the Grand Master in Nevada yet. Three, the Worshipful Master must be shown the same respect and courtesy we show the Grand Master. He should be addressed at all times as Worshipful. And I think that's pretty consistent. Four, prayers at Lodge functions should be in keeping with Masonic teachings. Five, when wishing to speak in Lodge, a brother should rise and wait to be recognized by the Master, then address the Lodge in the following manner. Worshipful Master, Wardens, and Brethren, then begin to speak. All remarks should be directed to the East. Now that's different in California. In California, you don't address the Wardens and Brethren. You get up, you sign for whatever degree you're in, and then address you know, Worshipful Master, and then talk, ask whatever you want to see, uh, whatever you want to say. In Nevada, you don't necessarily sign. I've seen a lot of guys just stand up and talk. Um, and not even necessarily address the Worshipful Master. I don't know if that's just because it's a little less formal or if that's more ritualistic. In talking with some of the guys there, it seems to be that in Nevada, every lodge kind of has its own thing to do. And Nevada Grand Lodge is very loose on letting people uh, kind of do their thing without getting too involved in what is required 
Uh, I've also been told that I'm going to the, the Genoa Lodge, Douglas Number 12, but I'm also being told that if you go to Carson City Lodge, so Carson City being the capital, that they are very strict on their ritual. So I might have to do that someday just to mix it up a little bit. Number six, the ballot is secret, sacred, and inviolate. The ballot has legal sanction and must be conducted according to solemn rules. That's the same everywhere. Seven, a district deputy grandmaster on an official visit is the personal representative of the grandmaster. Now, in California, we don't have a district, district deputy grandmaster. We have AGLs, you know, assistant grand lecturers, and we have inspectors that are the representatives of the grandmaster. An office has a station or place of its own in the lodge, with duties, responsibilities, and dignities inherent in it. A sloppy manner of addressing the lodge and a failure to give proper respect to the officers reflects a lack of understanding of Masonic protocol. If a master expects of every member and of every other officer a faithful rendering of the form of etiquette that is to be accorded to his office, it will create a more faithful observance of the form at every other station or place. 10. The examining committee is appointed by the worshipful master, and usually the senior deacon is the chairman, along with two other well-qualified brethren. They must keep in mind that their only purpose is to satisfy themselves that the visitor is or is not a master mason in good standing from a regular lodge recognized by the Grand Lodge of Texas. The Tyler's Oath should be used as part of the examination. If the examining committee has the duty to satisfy itself that a visitor is a master mason in good standing in a regular lodge, the visitor also has a right to make sure that the lodge he comes to visit is a regular lodge. He may, therefore, ask to see its charter. Texas masons, at the discretion of the worshipful master, may be admitted without examination if they produce a current dues card and photo identification as per Article 380. Number 11. A lodge member who has held the highest office in the lodge carries the title of past master. Past masters have a standing in Masonic law. Certain duties are theirs for life. They are members of the Grand Lodge and have a vote in its processes. They are entitled to a deference which belongs to their position. In protocol, they are entitled to a specific order of lineal precedence. On their own part, past masters are bound to the same rules of etiquette and respect that is observed toward the worshipful master by all other members of the Lodge. 12. The preparation room is a sanctuary for the candidate and the officers preparing him. It is necessary that it be closed in and that its privacy is strictly preserved. 13. The etiquette governing the conferral of degrees is strict. There shall be no talking, whispering, or laughing, or any disturbances during the degree work. It is not an occasion for mirth. Brothers on the sidelines should remain quiet and not offer any prompting or assistance to the degree team. And I think regardless of what uh, jurisdiction you're in, that that's how it should be. Um, I've been to enough degrees in my time where I've heard people laughing and giggling and just things happening and comments made and stuff. And again, it's, you know, different lodges have different, uh, different cultures and my lodge, my home lodge, Solomon Staircase, you know, we try to be very, um, solemn and very strict in our ritual because we, we love the importance of what it stands for and what it means. But again, I've been to other lodges where that's not necessarily the case. Number 14, the Worshipful Master is the officer whose first duty it is to see that nothing is ever allowed to harm the lodge which is entrusted to his care. For that reason, he cannot tolerate a careless practice of etiquette. If upon coming to the East, a master finds that indifference to or a casual practice of etiquette has crept into the lodge, he should find an early opportunity to address the subject with his officers and members. 
The district deputy grandmaster may consult and advise concerning a lodge's practice of etiquette, but they cannot interfere. The worshipful master has full responsibility for lodge etiquette, as he has total charge of all things in the lodge. And 15. Although as Masons we believe that it is the internal and not the external that makes a man a Mason, there remains the issue of attire that is fitting of the occasion. Based upon tradition and the use of appropriate clothing as a way of showing respect, not only respect to the officers, but to the craft and to the profane that observe us as we gather as Masons. In Texas, unlike other grand jurisdictions, we seldom wear formal attire to lodge meetings, but shorts, flip-flops, and bib overalls are a far cry from the level of respect that is due our fraternity, especially if we expect others to respect and admire us. So California, at least at my lodge, what we typically do is, for stated meetings, in the colder times of the year, we wear tuxedos, and for degrees, we wear tuxedos. Uh, When it starts getting warm, we switch over to Hawaiian shirts and khakis, or slacks as the case may be. But same thing, no shorts, no flip-flops, no overalls, at least come in looking respectful. And so that article was provided by Past Master Chuck Downard from the Sunday Masonic News, May 13, 2012, edited by Harry Bruno. The following article is from the September 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. It's written by Bruce Shabbat, 32nd degree, and is titled Masonic Liturgy. Liturgies, such as our Masonic ritual, have the purpose of uniting and strengthening communities of shared interest. Liturgy is a word that applies in slightly different ways to two areas I love, Freemasonry and religion. In fact, Masonic liturgy is a part of the craft which benefits brothers, sometimes even without their knowing it. Let me explain. Of course, I do not mean to imply that Freemasonry is a religion. We all know that it is not. Yet, as a clergyman, I often find myself explaining this fact to people who think Masonry is some sort of a denomination simply because it involves religious elements. True, we believe in God, respect the Bible, and hold dear what is represented by the letter G in the middle of our square encompasses. But that hardly makes Freemasonry a religion. The term liturgy comes from an ancient Greek word which literally translated means the work of the people. It is my experience that the ways in which our beloved fraternity uses liturgy are amazingly similar to the way liturgy is used in all faith traditions. In both, liturgy expresses and teaches what we believe, while also showing respect to our honored fellows. The basis of my comparison is the fact that there is another word, ritual, whose meaning is very similar to liturgy, and ritual, as all Masons know, is the heart of the work of our lodges and temples. All deep-rooted religious faith traditions use ritual or liturgy to express and pass on to new members what they believe. They state their creeds and use various clergy members and other functionaries to act out or represent in symbolic and publicly meaningful form their ideas. The interesting and wonderful thing to me is that Masonry does some very similar things. As Masons, we have certain very specific words and actions that we say and do in performing the ceremonies that open and close our meetings, just as spiritual leaders say and do meaningful words and actions in conducting worship and prayer services. Churches and lodges do these things because that is how communities work in order to strengthen and grow. Masons have a whole body of special ceremonies we use for our many degrees, just as high churches have liturgies for the seasons and ceremonial moments of importance in people's lives. 
In both cases, they vary for special occasions, such as initiating new members and celebrating feast days. And in both cases, the secular lodge and the religious church, certain people, chosen and trained to perform these special duties, are particularly valued for their ritualistic proficiency. Furthermore, both Masonic bodies and faith traditions have committees charged with the responsibility of studying and authorizing official forms of ritual or liturgy. This last point is especially prominent now that we, as Scottish Rite Masons, have the revised standard pike ritual. Those entrusted with researching and implementing these revisions have noticed that some members tend to resist any kind of change in what is familiar, even when that change is actually more of a return to the original roots of the source matter. This reaction is common. Religious scholars have always found it to be the case when they urge people to revise their ritual practices in order to return to the more pristine ancient forms. Since these forms have been forgotten, under layers of improvisation, they seem strange and therefore forbidding. They are not the way we have always done it. Finally, in lodges, masons use special actions and verbiage in referring to officers, such as masters and wardens, and in ceremonially receiving honored guests, such as grandmasters and district deputies. Similarly, some churches use honorific titles for their leaders and clergy, or ministers. Also, some lodges use ceremonial clothing when acting out certain rituals, from basic aprons on up, not to mention jewels and caps. Just as some types of houses of worship use vestments and other liturgical paraphernalia, lodges even have certain required furniture set up in specific ways in regular places for officers to sit, just as religions arrange their sanctuaries in certain ways that are meaningful to them. In sum, my reason for bringing up these many analogies is not to overemphasize any similarity between these two realms and endeavors, masonry and religion. Rather, the purpose of my comparison is to show that, as archaeologists and sociologists know, groups that unite to celebrate fellowship and share mutually beneficial ideas often tend to use means that are natural to communal undertakings. These are often liturgical and ritualistic, since these means bind people together, and fraternity, being one with the others, is among the most basic instincts of human beings. We unite for preservation and for enjoyment. These means, in Freemasonry and religion, are ritualistic or liturgical. They can be seen in other areas too, such as at patriotic observances and even sports events which have their own liturgies and rituals. As Masons, we can be proud of our heritage. We should, without any sort of showiness, but with humility and goodwill, extend the good name and better understanding of our fraternity through the dignified public presentation of our rituals whenever appropriate, including when we are in the religious faith communities of our choice. After all, we both may benefit from our mutual appreciation of ritual and liturgy. The following article is from the April 2008 Southern California Research Lodge magazine. Hands off, it's immemorial. Brethren, why do we make a lot of noise and then sing all Lang Syne and New Year? Why do we follow etiquette when eating? Why do we all stand when the national anthem is played? Why do we greet a person with a handshake? Indeed, brother, why do we do these and perform many other actions in our daily life? It is simply because they are part of life's daily ritual, which we all perform, knowingly or unknowingly, or more importantly, is a part of that time immemorial which has been tried and proven by our forebears. Dr. Don C. Benjamin of Arizona State University states, Rituals are repeated patterns of meaningful human behavior. They are structured ways of acting, sometimes accompanied by words, sometimes not. Rituals open up new worlds where our lives are enlarged and enriched. 
Rituals take us to new places, and they relate us to new people. Rituals overcome isolation and bond us to communities who will support us in becoming all we were created to be and becoming what we want to be. This brief statement, I believe, more than amply explains Freemasonry and its ritual, and thus the reason for this paper, which was initially prompted by the recent and continued outpourings within the fraternity, both by written or spoken word, for a change to the ritual of Freemasonry based on two theories. A. It is antiquated and not in line with modern expression and opinion, or B. It is the reason for the decline of membership within the craft, both of which I suspect are based on one, the periodical but continuous attacks on Freemasonry and its ritual by outside pressure groups with their own personal and hidden agendas, and two, the personal outpourings by some members on their own knowledge and ability, or more likely lack of it, to conform to the ancient usages and customs of the craft, which incidentally they freely and voluntarily offered themselves as a candidate for in the first place. As to the two theories already stated, which are both interrelated, I can give no better an example than when the mainstream churches decided to modernize the Book of Prayer to enable younger people to participate and thereby reverse the decline in attendance, which the authorities believed was the result of some widespread and even occasional universal criticism. Alas, this has not, as we well know, proved as successful as anticipated. In fact, and in the meantime, the Bible, Holy Book, or VSL, call it what you may, has continued to progress in its original James I form, particularly by a big increase in annual sales. We may well ask the question why. Although I would suggest that the human race is generally a creature of habit and do not accept change for the sake of change. As to my two suspicions, firstly, the attacks from without are based on narrow-minded thinkers and inborn jealousy by persons or persons and or their organizations of the principles and tenets of the craft which they see as binding a true brother to his lodge and the fraternity. These attacks can be easily countered by experienced persons and not necessarily by Freemasons. For example, study the history of and books by John J. Robinson, who was extremely successful during his lifetime before becoming a Freemason later in life. Also, my other short paper which follows is another good example of how to use defense in the best form of attack. Regarding my second suspicion, this lack of knowledge is attributable to that brother's lodge who are responsible for establishing the direction or path the individual brother may take. Not all members are able or willing to take the active path in Freemasonry. Indeed, some brethren play an important part by their regular attendance, even if with passive or indirect involvement. In fact, we have here this evening brethren who in my view are passive, particularly regarding research activities, but proven Freemasons, in the true sense of the word. Long may they attend. By their very attendance at any lodge meeting, they are active students of ritual. However, it is very important that new members are assisted early in their Masonic life with knowledge of the craft, more particularly its ritual, varied and many, and the part it should henceforth play in their outside life. In fact, how many of you present this evening have read the Research Lodge Literary Committee's new article posted on the notice board in the foyer in the crash hall? That very young brother Hopkins is typical of what many others are saying, and we should take notice of this before pulling the plug on an established ritual that has survived many generations of Freemasonry with little, if any, change at all. I am not the first brother to say this. You may recall our present Grand Master, Most Worshipful Brother Barry McLagan, was the guest speaker at the 2005 Summer Lecture here in Palmerston North and in this Masonic Center. 
speaking to his subject, the creeping paralysis of mediocrity in our society, and therefore Freemasonry, explained in passing that Grand Lodge had in recent times tried to remove the word ritual from our Masonic vocabulary. The reason? It might offend some people. Fortunately, common sense prevailed. I also have with me this evening copies of other letters from young Freemasons all saying the same thing. Hands off. It is in a memorial. Thus, brethren, from what I have already said, ritual is nothing new. It is not to be ignored or brushed aside. Our very lives, and even those who are anti-Masonry, are completely engulfed in it, whether they realize it or not. Finally, why are these young new Freemasons all saying the same thing? Hands off, it's immemorial, and we like it. We ignore them at our peril. So this was a research paper presented by worshipful brother Tim Brown, past master, deputy master to the Rofu Lodge of Research number 444, New Zealand, in February 2008. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.